0: so this is a nice segue into the work that you do yeah. um and just now everything you were saying strikes me as a workshop that you've run with an organization so tell me a little bit more about the work you do specifically and on your site a few references are made to the approach of essential partners um what is that approach and when did you all come up with this approach
1: yeah this is a group of uh family therapists 30 probably i mean they they count the founding about 31 years ago but it was probably a, a little bit before that they were working at the you know in some ways still at the beginning of family therapy where they were sort of seeing systems in conflict seeing people playing out roles that are they feel a person feels pulled into a family comes in and this person's playing one role, this person's playing another. And you'd say, you could say, Well, what's the conflict here? And the conflict at some point, maybe we don't even remember what the conflict was. Now we're just playing out roles that are conflict roles and have a story about each other. And they said, Gosh, this looks an awful lot like what we see going on in the way people are talking about things. In the public conversation. So when they started the organization, they called it the Public Conversations Project, and it and it really was like, boy, you. Uh, a, we have the video, the very first um, thing that our one of our founders saw on TV it was two people on one side, two people on the other. It's a news show. There's a moderator in the middle. They ask a question. And within about a minute and a half, everyone's just yelling at each other. And the moderator's waving his arms saying, we have nothing here. And we're still seeing that. I mean, it's 31 years later, and that's still what television looks like. But um, they said, gosh, we know how to deal with that. That we deal with that in our family therapy offices all the time. We have structures for it. We have ways of helping people listen to each other. We have different kinds of questions that you ask. If you ask a polarizing question, if you ask a yes or no question, if you ask a question that simplifies things and dumbs it down, you'll get dumbed down, simplified, polarizing yes or no answers. But if you ask a more complex question, if you ask the questions like you're asking me today, which is to explore something, to go into the complexity of something, then you begin to realize, wow, we're not on two sides of something. There aren't even two sides of something. We're all just sort of wandering around in, in, a, in a web of ideas and identities. And now we have something more to hold on to. So they began to experiment with structures and, and ways of talking to each other. And if the idea was, if if I can change the way we talk about something, then I can change our relationship to each other while we talk about it. I can change what we're willing to talk about, what we're willing to listen to, what we're willing to reveal to each other. We're beginning to explore more of ourselves, more of each other. And now we're beginning to break open what was a very stuck dynamic, stuck conversation, stuck relationship that was really... Gridlocking or polarizing our community. Now we're beginning to open up the possibilities here. Build relationship, build trust, and and move through. So uh, that's the the approach, and uh, it really is based in community. It's based on what the community wants to talk about. It's based on deep listening to the community, and it you know if you say well what kinds of things do you do you talk about. I mean, think anybody who's listening, think about a community that you're part of where there is some division about some important idea, right? Where people are being torn apart. You know, you're in a faith community, you're in a school, you're in a workplace, you're in a family, you're in a neighborhood, and we're lining up on different sides of something. And you can invite a conversation that is going to drive that wedge even deeper. Or you can invite a conversation that is going to invite you to connect and talk and build relationship and trust and help you get to uh, sometimes a solution, sometimes better ideas, sometimes just an acknowledgement that we're different and we have different values and we can still live together across those differences.
0: So I was leaning over, taking notes as you were talking, because so many questions were coming up for me. And I'm going to start with this thought. We never learned these skills in school, no, like how to have conversation. And I say all the time, you know, it took a long time for me to realize what my angst was with school. Like I did pretty well in school because my father wouldn't have had it otherwise. I um, did <laughs> <have> a choice <laughs> to like, yeah, dad, I'm not feeling the school thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I I kind of realized as an adult, the issue I had with school was that most of what I was learning, I never felt like it was applicable to the real world. Yeah, I learned how to write. I'm still waiting for an employer to ask me to write a seven to 10 page paper on something. It it just doesn't happen. (laughs) Um, But writing those seven to 10 page papers gave me enough practice around writing to ultimately figure out how to communicate in a concise and clear manner right. uh, to people. Anyway, so we never learn how to manage our curiosity in school. People learn how to communicate by observing others, by watching television. And so unfortunately, you, you also don't know what's right, what's the right way to communicate and what's the wrong way. Um, and so people ask very inappropriate questions yeah. by, by virtue of that. So you're nodding. You're like, I'm in total agreement with you. So your organization is filling a gap that the schools did not provide for millions of people um, as adults.
1: That's absolutely right. And, and I mean, I don't know if you were, you know, you talk on, on your show about the work that you're doing, but you're doing the same thing in, in where where you work. And, and there is, uh, unfortunately there's like one of you, you know, in, in, a lot of schools all around, it's like, well, we need somebody who can attend to all of the social fabric and, and relationships and communication between people. Let's bring in one person and have them work in this community. And that's you, right? I mean, and and that's who I work with often. I'm called in because it's a lonely, difficult uh, job to, to hold that level of tension and and um, responsibility and all the conflicts that come with it and all the differences. And so, yes, we we go in and support schools, communities, organizations, uh, faith groups as uh as a support to whoever it is that is tending to the fabric and and soul of that community and helping them think about the relationships and the conversation. and yes, in schools and we're doing more now in middle school and high school a lot more it's actually a really uh, growing part of our work helping kids learn how to listen, how to ask a good question, how to speak to be understood rather than to just can you know convince or criticize or judge people, how to reflect, how to understand their own thoughts and to really understand where their beliefs come from, to build something of their own story so that they can share that with others. So yeah, that's what we're, that's what we're doing.
0: So are you providing schools with curriculum around this?
1: Yes, we are. And it it's not as um sort of formalized as, okay, here's your workbook, just work your work your way through it, right? It's more of an approach. And it does have a lot of great exercises that we've developed with a fantastic set of associates and educators over the 31 years that we've that we've been at this. And, um, and in we teach teachers how to teach through this. We teach students how to be in dialogue and even facilitate dialogue. And um, we teach uh, a whole community how to turn towards dialogue in the most difficult moments.
0: Yeah. And so you talked about the work that I do, and I can't say that I ever received formal training around developing or having conversation cross-culturally. They're my life experiences that I hearken back to, and I've made sense of them over time to be able to deliver it to people to say, hey, here's what works. And it's not that it just works for me. I've noted that this works for other people because I'm pretty observant. So one of the things that people have a tendency to do when they are in a situation and they're meeting people that they're curious about, they automatically like kind of just dive in and they want to ask questions. In my position, one of the things that I'm always telling people is that the relationship is going to be the driver of your ability to learn about the person. Nice. So it, it's not going to happen immediately. Like you're not going to come up to me and learn on the first day that, you know, I've experienced racial trauma. I you know what's your experience as a black man. <laughs> no, 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 no. Back no, no. up. What's my name? Let's start <laughs> there, <laughs> And no. we'll eventually get there. So it's not going to be on your timeline. That's right. It's going to be on my timeline. We move yes. at the speed of trust. Yes. Slow down. So Slow people down. don't learn that. And yeah. I have been, I'm very clear that um, this is something that people struggle with. And here's the converse of that. There are a faction of folks who say, I'm not your teacher. Yeah. I don't want to talk to you. So you have people who are curious. They want to learn more. And then they're attempting to build these relationships. And then on the other side, you have folks. And it's not just folks of color. A lot of times because they are tired of feeling marginalized. and, And so we've gotten to a point where more and more I hear this, I'm not your teacher, don't ask me. I'm not your educator, Google it. Yeah. And so I've started to say to young people, I get how you're feeling and why you may not want to engage mm-hmm. in these conversations where you're educating people. But when you tell somebody to Google it, I'm just gonna give you an example. When you Google race and ethnicity, good luck finding two consistent <laughs> definitions for race and ethnicity. Yeah. Like, the sources out there, um, I don't know where they're getting their information, but it's just not consistent. So if we want people to learn more in order to be better, there has to be a willingness at some point to engage in dialogue. Yes.
1: I, I-, I think you're entirely right. And I think I'm As you said, entirely sympathetic to people who feel like I've been doing that too long and I can't do it again, or I need a break from that, or I need to recharge, or but I don't know how else we're going to get there. I can't get there by myself. I just can't get, I'm not me and my computer, you know, and then of course we also have this other marginalizing phrase like, oh, and you know uh, when all this stuff happens, you know, white folk uh, have a reading group, you know, they get a book and read about it. So that's like a, you oh, that's sweet little cute little thing. They're not really doing the work. Well, there, there's a group of people trying to figure out how to, how to educate themselves. So yeah, book group is an important start. That's not the only thing you do, but it's an important start. And then, and then it's this relationship that we have to build. And I think you're right. It's going to fall to some people more than others to tell their story and to let people know uh, what the world is like for them so that the world will wake up to the reality of how difficult life has been for some people. Sure, yeah. And that's a a burden, and I get it. And honestly, I don't know how else to get there.
0: I look at it as starting a person's journey. So where I land with this is it's never optimal for me to continually be having conversations about what has happened in my own life around race um, and ethnicity. But I can start your process by giving you a little bit of information and then hoping that uh, the person I'm conveying that to says, wow, I'm really curious about this. Uh, Let me pick up a book to read more about it. Let me watch a movie to learn more about it. Let me immerse myself in communities uh, where I'm going to learn about this. I don't know what I don't know. Right.
1: That's right. And and I think I think that's right and I like the idea that it's going to always be this mix and match. I'm going to hear something that I'm going to go learn on my own and I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen and I'm going to be part of a conversation where I where I might ask a question. I also think That, you know, and I hear this, I heard this, especially after uh, George Floyd murder, you know, all the the rules about, no, you can't ask somebody this. No, you can't say that. And and I think uh, those rules are helpful as sort of just a, a warning sign. Don't just go and start asking everybody. Right. It's good. And it all depends on, I think, two things. What is your relationship with the person? And do you have some built up relationship and trust and two, what are you going to do with it? Right. People, I, I notice in the dialogue work when I ask, you know, and some people say, well, you can't ask. So, well, first of all, I'm not going to decide what they're willing to do or not do. They can tell me that they don't want to, but I'm not going to say, Oh no, they can't. Cause that's, that's now me making decisions for them and I'm not going to do that. But the second is that most people are willing to, if A, they feel like they're really going to be listened to, B, some trust has been built up already, and C, somebody is going to do something with that information to make the world a better place, a more just place. And so those experiences don't get repeated. If we don't feel like those are in place, then Absolutely. Why would we put ourselves through that again? But if those things are in place and those take work, uh, most people I know, and of course, there are occasions when people are just exhausted and they should be respected in that exhaustion and in their need to heal and restore and just be. uh, Most people are willing to to be part of that conversation, that education, that uh, larger movement forward.
0: The work that organizations have to do around identity and whether it's recruiting, retention, it's significant. Um, I'm thinking about people within organizations learning a lot of the thoughts you just expressed and then operationalizing it. Right.
1: Um, It's it's where. Your work and my work come alongside each other because I am not somebody who goes in and educates people about systemic racism, historical, you know, um, uh, you know, critical race theory. I, I don't. I know that stuff. I would never pretend to try to teach it. We need that information. We need to understand that there are these dynamics. So we need some education alone. We also need some of the work that we do, which is how do you talk across cultural differences, differences in understanding, differences in language? Uh, How do you navigate differences in worldview? How do we meet each other? There's always a difference between what I say and what you hear. And when you're from a different culture than I am, that's going to be exacerbated. So how do we close that gap together, taking both of us, taking responsibility for closing that gap so that we're really understanding each other. And so that work needs to happen. I think a lot of organizations don't know how to do this. A, it's not going to happen overnight, as you said, right? This is long-term work. I think uh, second is that, There are a lot of things that have to happen at the same time, and it's hard to coordinate all those things. We need to get educated about these dynamics. We need to get more um, skilled in our ability to speak and careful and observant about the language that we use that might be offensive we have to examine our culture in the organization and make sure that we are not sending signals to people that they're not welcome and it's hard to know that because it's our culture it's like a fish you know in water like it's this is just this is where i swim it doesn't feel any different right because for the dominant culture it's hard to examine yourself so you might need help coming in and and knowing you may do, need to do some listening, some self-examination. You also, I think as an organization, need not just think about hiring uh, uh, diverse diversity at the lowest levels of your organization, yes. right? First of all, you're gonna then play into the dynamics that already exist between the power, more powerful and the less powerful in any organization. And, and you're gonna compound that with issues of race or gender or whatever else. So you have to think about diversifying yourself at all levels of an organization so that people coming up can see themselves as having a future in the organization. So right now we get stuck in a sort of a vicious cycle where a young person of color comes into an organization. They're not sure that they belong. Uh, They are one of a few they are, you know, lower on the on the um, power structure. They don't see themselves in decision making and they can easily feel alienated and it can actually do more damage in the organization than it would have been, than, um, than otherwise. You know, promises are made and ideas are uh, put out there that you can make a difference and then they don't feel that they can. And that's really frustrating.
0: Yeah. So jumping in here, um, when I was in college, uh, the term that we used to capture all of this was diversity. Everything was diversity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then um, at some point, there was a shift. Um, And this is in higher ed, and I don't know um, if, I think the same is true for the corporate world. But so we went from diversity to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now I'm hearing diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, justice. Um, and these <laughs> terms are popping up because it's like, damn it, I don't want to just be here. Like, yes. I need you to do more than just have me here as a yes. token that yes. we're moving forward. Yes. And I I can see so many more letters popping up uh, <laughs> to yes. be explicit about what it is that people are looking for. So it's just really interesting. And the parallel I'm going to make it. America's sport is baseball. One would yeah. argue that it's football, but okay, so yeah. either one. Yeah. Baseball fans understand that you need a variety of these different types of people in order for the team to, to be good. Yes. It's exceptional, we get yeah. that. Yes. A- and I'm referring now to men, like men watch sports and in, in yep. some, some men watch sports. And so these same men go into organizations and it's like, now it's like a puzzle. Like oh my god! Like I need different types of people around the table in order to like optimize and and, and optimize the work that we do and be great. And it's right. like, dude, you watch sports. It's the same concept. Yes, yes, no,
1: absolutely. And 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 it's, uh, it, you know, we a couple of years ago, um, redid our uh, mission statement, and it's something like. Or a vision statement. It's something like we envision a world of um, thriving communities, strengthened by difference, connected by trust. And when somebody said to me, "Strengthened by difference, connected by trust," I said, "That's it. That's what we mean by diversity. It, it's you know, it's not that it makes us." you know, well, we we are weaker because we're not all united in one thing. No, it's that you have skills, awarenesses, cultures, ideas, ways of learning that I don't have and I need you. Besides the fact that we have a country that is diverse. We live in a pluralistic society. We have decided that you can belong to any religion you want to in this country. And so now how do we make that our strength rather than a weakness in who we are? How do we live out? And it, and it's exactly right. What you said is exactly right. We tried to build more diverse colleges and universities, right? Just, well, we need to, we need more black people. We need more Asian people. We, let's bring them in. But we didn't give them the tools to live out the fullness of that diversity. Yeah, yeah. So now people just feel alienated. They feel we didn't change the curriculum. We didn't look at the structures that made people feel belonging and inclusive and whether there's dining actually, hall.
0: Yep. The dining Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That was shots for me, man. I went to college and I went to dining hall, and I'm like, oh, they weren't thinking of us, man. They were not (laughs) thinking of us at all. This is terrible. Like, I was on a cereal diet real quick, man. (laughs) (laughs) And it's those little things, like being able to walk into dining hall and seeing and and smelling things that you're familiar with. And so that was a miss uh, when I was in undergrad. And yeah, there are a number of ways that colleges and organizations um, can help people feel a greater sense of belonging. And I know folks are always surveying to learn. I sometimes wonder if they look at the surveys. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes.
1: I know uh, it's true. And then can you really take it in? Can you really take it in and and work towards doing something, bring people along, manage expectations because it's not going to change overnight. Right, and that's frustrating to people who want justice and want equity. They want it, and they rightfully want it now. And uh, there's a uh, you know there's a pathway to it that we have to keep ourselves accountable. We have to work vigorously at it. We I think too for too long, and, I'm, and I point the finger at myself for too long. Let that slide down on the level of priorities. Well, I know it's but it's hard and it's expensive and it's. We'll get we'll get to we'll get there. Now we have to get there now, and we have to know that it's going to take a long time.
0: Speaking of um, the amount of time it takes to change, um, I'm thinking of uh, your experiences going into organizations and believed uh, they were fundamentally sexist, racist, or otherwise at their core, um, because oftentimes when people are impatient about change it's because i've been experiencing this for a long time i need this to change now so yes again have you ever gone into an organization that you believed was fundamentally sexist racist or otherwise um if so did you ever name it and do you think it's important to name that dynamic in helping to foster better communication between different parties in a community or organization
1: Oh, that's such a great question. If an organization exists in our country in the year 2021, it's inherently sexist and racist. I mean, I just don't know that we're still in that place. I don't know that there's a, a place that isn't
0: mm.
1: yet and it's going to take time now i think i think that there are some places that are paying a lot more attention there are some places that are working hard at it and that's meaningful and needed i've worked in some communities that are far less aware of the fact that they are sexist and 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 racist they're just so far back on their on the development yeah. towards multicultural, you know, fluency and um, uh, and adaptability. It's easier when you're all in one place or another, but when you're in very different places in your own development along the way. So then there are different things that you do. So when you say, would it be good to name it? And have I named it? There are ways in which we name it. It's more effective if we can get people to name it for themselves. Mm. It's more effective if you can give people an experience where they say, huh, I never noticed that before. That's really uh, shocking to me, difficult for me, but I understand it now in a way that I didn't before. And I think we need to do something about it. That's like... That's the gold for me. Is when people can examine their own thinking, listen to other people's stories, not get defensive, which is hard to do because none of us want to think of ourselves as racist, sexist, you know, all you know, homophobic, uh, uh, anti-Semitic, anti-Muslim, whatever the thing is. We don't want to think of ourselves that way. We don't want to understand it. So, so we want to find some justification for it. I think the dialogue work that we do allows people to examine their own thinking and begin to change from within and within the community, talking to each other. So I try to rely, we as our organization try to rely on creating the space for people to learn together, discover, and motivate themselves to change um, rather than me naming sure. it or seeing it. Though there are some times when you say, you know, I just want to point out that now this person has spoken four times in a row, and this person gets interrupted a lot. And I wonder what that's about, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like they see you're racist. <laughs> I wonder what that's about, right? Mm-hmm. Let's let's examine that. There's all different ways to get there. That's just the way you know. As I i
0: go about it. So, the person keeps getting cut off, and you note know that you see the dynamic, and then you. Somewhat name it and saying, I want you to notice this dynamic. Now, if a person doesn't have the ability to look inward, will they arrive at the conclusion that, man, I keep cutting her off because I'm a sexist? That's why I keep cutting her off. Do you believe people, everybody has the ability to have that awareness?
1: Over time, I do think people, I don't, like I don't think anybody's, like, oh, they're a lost cause. I just, you know, I mean, and that may be. Uh, people call me naive all day long, and and people do, and that's okay. I believe that we're all able to grow and learn and become more aware. I would say that I'm not, I'm not trained in helping people, you know, overcome their deep seated sexism or you know whatever their own um ideologies are or implicit biases or explicit biases but i do think that you can coach and help people so first of all one of the things that we do is for the most part we structure conversations so people aren't getting cut off right we structure conversations so that we're all going to go around in the circle We're all going to speak for the same amount of time. Nobody's going to interrupt anybody. We're going to have some agreements about that. And I'm here to to enforce that. Now, there will be some times that are less structured, but hopefully the patterns begin to develop new patterns where people are really beginning to play out a kind of equitable sharing of the space and voice. Now, when certain people you know, slip back into their old patterns of, of their own sense of, you know, but I but I have something really important to say. I'm sure you do. I, and that's what you say. I'm sure you do. And I imagine that everybody around the circle has something very important to say. I'm going to ask you to hold on to that. I think that the more people do it, the more aware they become that, that their tendency is to interrupt a lot. So I think they they can do that. I think some coaching needs to sometimes happen. So I have taken people aside between sessions and say, I want to spend some time thinking about what, you know, what's going on for you, because I noticed that it's hard for you not to interrupt a lot or, you know, it's hard for you to listen. Uh, and well, you know, will people stop listening to me. They'll they you know, they they write me off. It's like, that So tell me more about that. You know what? And it's often the, the case that you know they're the person that stands up and talks for 20 minutes in an hour long meeting and people stop listening yeah people stop listening <laughs> cuz you know we're we're done listening we all you, you know 2 minutes and so we ask you want to be understood you want to be have an impact and you're not now because people are tuning you out i wonder whether you could be more effective in what you want to say if you kept yourself to the two minutes and and did more listening, right, and and um, so we work to coach people towards more self-awareness. Some people are really really hard to to do, and they've been you know they've had patterns over years and years and years. But nobody's a lost cause. We just need lots of different supports for them.
0: And so, um, self-awareness is an important part of being able to engage successfully with others. And so i like to offer or provide tools to people through this podcast. I I want them to listen and learn about people and also walk away with um, particular skills. I will ask you, if somebody wanted to become more self-aware, what are some easy ways for them to start becoming self-aware?
1: Well, come to Essential Partners and take a training.
0: <laughs> Good answer. I was yes. hoping you went there. <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, I mean, really, it's some of the best training. I think people, you know, people come because there's some conflict in their organization and they need to learn how to facilitate it. And they want to, and they often leave saying, I just feel like I'm a better person after this. Or I you know, you talk to them six months later and you say, well, did you facilitate any dialogue? And I said, well, yeah, we did. But I I really, what I want to talk about is how much this has helped my marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's what we want. And it's helped, you know, it's certainly helped my marriage. Um, And I'll just tell you a quick story. I, I was, um, uh, facilitating uh, at Clark university. Uh, I was, there as a assistant director of difficult dialogues and I was teaching a course with, uh, dialogue at the heart of it. In the beginning of the course, and this is all of my classes that I teach, not just on dialogue, anything I teach, we we build agreements together. We talk about what we would need in this class in order to speak uh, honestly, openly, with care, listen, and be able to dissent from people who, you know, everybody else agrees, but I'm going to want to share my truth too. So what do I need in this room for agreements? We build agreements. And then the second class, I type them up and we look at them again and we keep them alive. I took them home and um, I forgot them at home. It was a big sticky. And so I had to call my wife. I said, there's a folded up piece of paper. It's over there. She got it out and she put it on the back of the door. And it was all these agreements, you know, don't interrupt, allow people to finish their speaking, um, you know, maintain confidentiality, uh, ask questions to, you know, understand all this. And uh, a friend came over, which we left it on the, we left it on the door and a friend came over a couple of days later and said, is that how you guys run your marriage? Mm. Is that why you guys get along so well? And we looked at each other and we said, actually, yeah. That's, that's why. Now we don't have, you know, we're, we're like all married couples. Uh, We struggle struggle too, too. but, um, but that work has helped enormously just build awareness in intention and attention. I have an intention to, to improve. And I bring some attention to, my own patterns and um, my awarenesses and uh, my habits. Notice, am I the only one talking? Notice, am I um, alienating somebody, you know, noticing things? Yeah, come and train with us. Secondly, I think that there are some really great books, you know, there's nonviolent communication is a beautiful um, way of being in the world, talking about the impact on ourselves. And so that's... um, uh Marshall Rosenberg's work. The word the book Difficult Conversations um, is a fantastic colleagues of ours as a really great way to understand why conversations are difficult and how to rethink them in some ways. Um, I think that there are I, I think that the most important thing you can do is spend more time listening. If you were to say, you know what, tomorrow night I'm gonna go to this party. I'm not going to not contribute. I want to contribute, but I want to spend more time just observing and listening and noticing patterns and noticing the impulses in myself. Um, You can learn a lot that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. My quote in my uh, senior yearbook was, it is far better to understand than to be understood. Mm -hmm. I heard Bill Russell say that in an Mm -hmm. interview, and it really stuck with me. So Mm.
1: it's beautiful. Bill Russell's of, I mean, what a, what a hero. The visionary leaders that we work with are are doing that. Amen. I appreciate that. That's a great, uh, uh, I'm going to hold on to that.
0: Thank you, John. And if somebody wants to learn more about your organization, um, where can they learn about it?
1: It's uh, www.whatisessential.org. So whatisessential.org. The organization is Essential Partners. And uh, you know, we 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 answer the phone when people call, we we uh, answer emails. So just reach out john at whatisessential.org and, and we'll get back
0: to you. All right. Thank you, John. Thank you, Stenna. I appreciate it. Thank you for remembering to call me yeah,
1: I wrote it down. So I yeah, All great. right, that's a
0: great skill. You hear it, write it down. All right, man. All right,
1: appreciate it.
0: Does your organization evolve as a matter of conscience or crisis? It's a question worth considering. When goodwill comes out of the fear of bad publicity, what should be made of that? The murder of George Floyd has been cited by many individuals and organizations as a turning point, a wake-up call of sorts. While I've been encouraged by the efforts of organizations to become more inclusive and adopt anti-racist practices, I can't help but wonder what leaders of organizations were thinking when they walked into boardrooms and only saw other white people at the table. Sure, there's diversity among white people, but I wonder why the notable absence of racial diversity didn't result in a, quote, renewed commitment to inclusion. What work does your organization need to do to become more inclusive? Until the next episode of In Me, keep reflecting. and the identity and the-